Okay, all right. So I am preparing to speak for this Sunday. Um, well, I meant to go to Milton Keynes, but instead what's going to happen is I'm going to do a video. Uh, I'm going to record myself doing the sermon, essentially. But before that, I need to look at a passage and prepare it, um, just like for any real talk. So this is my first impressions of the passage I'm going to be preaching on. Yeah, this is what this video is. Hi, hello. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so I pulled up Bible Gateway. I pulled out the passage. We're looking at Exodus chapter 17. And uh, for those of you who follow me on the various social platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, that kind of thing, I did post a recording of the Daily Bible Reading Show I don't know when I read this, but um, when I did look at Exodus chapter 17, uh, I posted the clip of my reflections then. So that was my true first impressions of this passage when I looked at it. Uh, but that was a while ago. That was at least a year ago uh, when I read it as part of, um, if you don't know, this thing called the Daily Bible Reading Show. I read through the Bible in a year four passages a day, and that was one of the passages of the day. But for today, for today, this is like slightly different. This is not just uh, making uh, reflections or sharing thoughts. I have to end up with this message or this sermon that I have to preach on Sunday. So um, aside from just noting various things in the passage, um, the key thing about preparing a sermon is distilling it down to something that can be understood um, something that's faithful and true to the essence of the passage, but also something that can be understood and taken away and applied to the hearer. So that's when you know that the message lands in a sermon, when people get it, and when they go, yes, something needs to change. Yes, God is telling me to do this. I will obey. So the end point of the sermon is not just saying lots of stuff about the Bible, but actually getting to the point whereby people will how do I put this? Hear the Bible for themselves, but hear it clearly enough that they know the one thing that the Bible is saying to them um, that day. And to get there, I need to get the one thing for myself. So um, setting that as a destination, um, let's set off on this course looking at Exodus chapter 17. Again, my first impressions for this passage I'm preaching on this coming Sunday. So let's just... Um, how shall we do this? Um, shall I read it through? Um, I'll see. Maybe I might make stops and make observations along the way. But this is Exodus chapter 17, the ESV version. Uh, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So already um, the but sets up like the spanner in the works. So they're, they're moving on um, uh, into the desert. This whole congregation of the people of Israel, they're moving according to stages. I guess that means there is a kind of instruction as to which tribes and which peoples are meant to move in what order because there are just so many of them 
but something kind of like spoils this huge operation, and that's the lack of water. You know, they're, they're camped there, they're meant to move on from there, but there was no water for the people to drink. So already in the first verse, um, it's setting up this problem that affects everyone in this huge camp that, 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 that sets to derail this operation. And again, the destination for them is to get to the promised land. The destination for them is to be essentially saved out of Egypt into this new land that God is giving them, this promised land uh, in Israel. Okay, so verse 2, Therefore, well, picking up from verse 1, there was no water for the people to drink. Verse 2, Therefore, as they have no water, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So um, the people are complaining to their line manager. And I guess it's just worth um, picturing the scale of this complaint. Uh, 600,000 uh, men, so not including women and children, so possibly like a million travelers um, in the desert, all with this one complaint, rising up to this just one guy, Moses, saying, hey, Moses, fix this problem. <laughs> Give us water. Give all of us water. And what Moses says is, why are you complaining against me? He says, why do you quarrel with me? But at the same time, he says, why do you test the Lord? As if it's one and the same thing. Uh, maybe they don't realize that by complaining against Moses, they're complaining against God. They're essentially saying to God, God, why aren't you doing your job? They think all they're doing is they're complaining about, you know, their line manager, you know, someone under God, you know, someone less than God. But Moses is essentially saying that um, maybe exposing their hearts, thinking that they can get away with this complaint because they're not directly complaining to God. They're complaining to someone who works for God. Kind of like um, if you complain to your pastor or to your Bible study leader or maybe about your pastor. Maybe that would be a good comparison. You know, you're just complaining about your Bible study leader and your pastor. But actually it masks your kind of like dissatisfaction with something that you know that God is responsible for in your life. But you don't want to say it's God, but you just say, oh, it's, it's, just, it's just that guy <laughs> that God has put in my life. Don't like him. You know, just, why, why aren't you doing your job? Why aren't you giving us water to drink? So verse 3, But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt Sorry, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So um, they still persist uh, in complaining against Moses. But now they don't just say, give us water. They said, you have brought us to this point of thirst to kill us. So it's a very serious charge. Uh, they're essentially saying that Moses has doomed them. Yeah. Or, or, or that uh, Moses 
through his responsibility. Maybe they're not going that far, but they're saying, you know, Moses, you know, you know that the consequence of your bad leadership is that all of us are going to die. You know, not just me, but my children and my lifestyle. You, you've essentially doomed this entire nation through your recklessness. And, you know, this should sound familiar. You know, sometimes when you make complaints against national leaders, that's, that's the kind of thing that, that you say to them, you know. And it, there might be uh, a warrant for that. You know, when you have a bad national leader, you know, their decisions affect the entire country. You know, when they destroy the economy or they cause this national crisis, like, for example, a war or something like that, you know, it is almost right to blame the leader. But here they're complaining against a leader who has just essentially been used by God to save them, <laughs> you know, who actually loves them, who's actually been there with them through their suffering, through their journey, every step of the way. And suddenly all it takes is just this thirst to cause them to turn 180 degrees against him. So to put this into perspective, you know, this is... Exodus chapter 17, and we're just like three or four chapters away uh, just after the, uh, well, the Exodus. <laughs> you know, Exodus means a way out. They've just been made a way out from Egypt. So after all the plagues, after the crossing of the Red Sea, after the Passover, you know, the killing of all the firstborn in Egypt. So they've seen everything that God has done to save them through his miracles, through his provision, through his, uh, through his uh, blessing, and even in giving him Moses. But suddenly all that is forgotten because they feel thirsty and they feel hungry. Well, this comes after several episodes of them, you know, not, not having uh, food as well, and they complain against Moses. And so it's their appetites that's causing them to be angry Moses. It's their appetites and their thirst that's causing them to forget all the good things that God has supplied to them and blessed them with through Moses. And so it's a very big charge, but essentially it's unfounded. It's, it's fickle. It's something that, um, how do you put this? It's something that we all do in the spur of a moment, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, it, I think it kind of says that it doesn't take very much for us to forget all the blessings of God. You know, yes, you know, God, you've blessed me with da 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 da. You know, um, uh, not least, you know, salvation and life, and you know, um, you know, fellowship with God, relationship with Him, but also just daily provisions. You know, step by step. You know, God has been walking with us. Everything that we have in life, all of it comes from God. Well, all it takes is like a tiny little thing, like you know, getting COVID, <laughs> or, or uh, you know, you get a toothache, or you just have a bad day, and immediately you go, oh, you know, God, you know, why are you doing this to me? It's so unfair, you know, my, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and that kind of thing. Uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. I think. I think that's kind of true of human nature. You know, we are very forgetful, very fickle, and we don't often weigh any kind of short-term inconveniences against the long-term blessings and faithfulness of God. Um, so they complain against Moses, uh, forgetting everything that God's done for them through Moses, and they, they accuse Moses of killing them. <laughs> Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us? 
Uh, and this phrase, bring us up out of Egypt, is almost like saying maybe we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed in the situation we were in before, forgetting that they were slaves and they were oppressed. So why do you save us from slavery, you know, only to kill us now? And I guess um, it's worth thinking of an analogy. Imagine what would be a good analogy. Let me think. Mm. Maybe, you know, someone who has just been saved from a burning building. You know, someone like heroically comes in, breaks through the glass, and then, you know, uh, and then you cover it in smoke, and there's flames all around, and they cover you with a fire blanket. And then they say, come on, you know, we'll save you out of this fire. So they save you out of the building, building, and you come out of the building, whoosh, the whole thing explodes, very Hollywood movie-like. And they go, oh, thank you so much. Oh, you saved my life, and you appreciate that. But then on the way back in the ambulance, you go, oh, you know, why aren't there any snacks in the ambulance? I don't know, silly example, but that kind of thing. <laughs> you forget that you know, someone just saved your life. And they're bringing you, it's still in the process of you being saved, but they immediately think of your immediate comfort. They say, oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, I feel like having some Hello Panda snacks, which actually would be nice right now. But uh, <laughs> maybe that's why I came up with that example. But yeah, okay, okay let's move on. Let's move on. I'm, uh, I have a limit on this recording, so I can't take too long. Okay, so verse four, Moses, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me, to kill me. So they're rioting. And uh, Moses complains to God. It's interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if there's something there, but they complain to Moses. Moses complains to God. So it brings it up the chain of command. Uh, verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand a staff, the stick uh, with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Okay, so interesting solution. Let's break it down. Uh, Moses had just complained to God that, you know, all the people are going to kill him. <laughs> and God's solution is to take this stick, the same stick that he used to hit the waters of the Nile, and then it's split into two, take the same stick and hit this rock, and then it will split and water will come out. I wonder if it's like a reenaction of the crossing of the Red Sea. I'm not sure. Uh, honestly, I've never thought of that before, but there seems to be a similarity between this first incident. I think that might be Exodus chapter 12. And um, is it 12? Let me check. Never know. Uh, might be wrong, actually. No, 12 is Passover. So for, is it 14? Yes, 14, the crossing of the Red Sea. So chapter 14. And if I remember correctly, actually... There Moses complains to God again. And then um, Moses says, and then God says to him, to, to why are you waiting for? Can't remember. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'll make a note of that. Maybe I'll come back and look at this. But yeah, there, there is meant to be an echo of him striking the Nile and now striking the rock. So there might be a reenaction of this 
Passover Exodus crossing the Nile event, salvation event, right here in the midst of their quarreling that's meant to be a solution to their quarreling, solution to their complaint against Moses. So that's one thing, taking the staff and hitting the rock. Uh, but also the other thing is that he's supposed to do this in front of the people. So he's meant to make a book, big show of this. I mean, he could have just done this in private and go up to the rock, bing, and then water comes out, and then the water, here, here, go and drink the water, and that's salt. But um, God says to him, uh, pass on before the people. So all of them, you know, do this in front of all of them, and in fact, bring the top guys taking with you some of the elders of Israel. So make sure that the leaders see this. I'm not sure why. Um, maybe the leaders themselves are meant to take this message. Maybe the leaders are behind some of these complaints. It doesn't say, uh, but uh, God mentions them in particular. And when Moses does, does this, verse 6, it says there, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So there's something peculiar about what Moses does that needs to be seen, needs to be witnessed by all the people and especially the leaders. So maybe representative of all the people, that's, that's, um, that's, that's the idea. They're meant to remind them of this occurrence. But yeah, essentially hit the rock in front of the people and Moses obeyed God. Um, and it ends... Just like that, verse 7, and he called the name of the place Masa Hemeribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? <clears throat> so I guess this is like the Bible's attempt at preaching the sermon to us. So it's giving us the summary. It's giving us the answer. And before I come up with my own answer, well, I should never do that. I should always listen to the Bible's answer. But yeah, that's what I'm trying to do now. I should always, at, at the first instance, try to listen to what the Bible is trying to say to me as the concluding point of this whole episode. And that's verse 7. And <coughs> two things he does. First thing, Moses names the place and their significance in the names. But also, um, God gives the reason for this test. They're questioning whether he is among them or not. So the first thing he does, is he names the place Masa and Meribah. And if I mouse over those names in Bible Gateway, that's great. It tells me the meaning that Masa means testing and Meribah means quarreling. So this is the place that the people quarreled against Israel and tested the Lord. It repeats those two words, quarreling and testing, quarreling and testing. It's trying to say that quarreling equates to testing. That means uh, if you if you replace those words with maybe like gossiping and rebelling, <laughs> you know, that was just words. You know, I'm just I'm just I'm just saying stuff or bringing up things that are uncomfortable in life. That's just words, quarreling. But testing, it's it's actually testing means putting God to the test. It's questioning. God's authority, questioning God's presence in their lives, as if God isn't good, God isn't there, and God is maybe far away, you know, distant from them. And that's the second thing that God himself um, identifies as the reason for all these chaos that's going on in their hearts, this quarreling, this testing. It says, there the, the Lord, by saying, 
because they tested God by doing this, by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So that's interesting. So the way in which you test God is by saying, God, are you there? Which, which you know, honestly to me, that sounds very familiar. You know, the, the thing that um, I often uh, say to God, and, and you know, um, I'm not, not proud of this, but oftentimes when something really bad happens, I go, you know, not just, I don't just go, God, this is unfair. I do say that. But often I go, where, where are you, God? You know, why, why aren't you doing something about this? And it's almost like me complaining to the person in, at McDonald's. <laughs> if, say, they get my order wrong, I say, why aren't you doing something about this? You know, this is, you're not doing your job, that kind of thing. But this is more serious. It's saying that God does not love us. I think that's the kind of overtone that goes behind us. Is God with us or not? It's saying as if God has abandoned us in the situation of thirst, of death, of 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 um, discomfort, of of death, of death, essentially. And they're questioning God's presence. And I think that's where uh, the solution shows that it solves the problem. I think if we understand the problem that this is trying to set up with, it's saying that, you know, the heart of the matter is the people question whether God is with them or not. Then we come closer to why is it that God gives this interesting <laughs> uh, solution to the problem by getting Moses to, to hit the rock. Because if we look back again, um, where is it? At verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, you know, take the leaders with you, take the staff which you stuck in the Nile, and go. And in verse 6, God says, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. So the point of Moses hitting the rock might not be the action itself, but it's meant to show that God is with Moses. It says there, I will stand before you there at Horeb. So it's meant to show God's presence. Somehow, Moses going up to the rock and hitting the rock is meant to prove that God really is, well, with Moses. And therefore, God really is with the people. So I don't quite know how to, to connect all the dots yet, but this, these are the elements that are there. You know, um, it creates more problems for me because honestly, you know, the first thing I wanted to go is, you know, you preach a passage of this, um, the kind of thing that you want to bring out of it is, you know, don't quarrel, <laughs> don't complain against God when you encounter a bad situation. That's, that's kind of the most obvious thing. And I think uh, that should be brought up because, you know, Masa and Meribah, you know, that's why Moses memorializes that place. You know, this is a place where you guys complained and made all these problems for God. So, you know, yes, there's a, a kind of, a flavor of that they are meant to bring out the passage. But then the gospel moment is God's presence with Moses as he strikes the rock. And um, how do you connect the two points? How do you get from one point to the other? And before we rush to, you know, the plethora of New Testament references, uh, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, that rock was Christ, you know, uh, so God's presence was with them. Before we rush there, uh, we need to see that this, this passage already sets it up for that. 
before we rush to Hebrews chapter 4, you know, which talks about today, if you hear his voice, you're not harden your hearts as you did during the times of testing and Mary by Massa, that kind of thing. You know, quoting Psalm 95, which makes references directly to this event, to Exodus uh, chapter 17. Or before we even jump to other problematic passages like Numbers chapter 20, where Moses strikes a rock again, and because of that, you know, um, um, you know, because of his disobedience, it says there, you know, Moses was barred from entering the promised land. You know, there are actually so many other passages that tie to in this main passage. The, the kind of problem with doing that immediately by jumping to those passages, even though it, there's a lot to say about them, is that then you lose the main point that Exodus 17 itself is trying to make. You're not preaching Numbers 20. You're not preaching 1 Corinthians 10. You're not preaching uh, Hebrews 4. You're preaching Exodus 17. And before you jump to any one of those, you sh they should serve the main point of Exodus 17. And the main point here seems to be that God wants to show that he has not left us alone, even during those points when we seem to complain that he has left us alone. In situations when we are fickle, we forget, in all of his goodness, when we encounter situations that make us feel really, really uncomfortable to the point of death, God shows us that he really is with us by showing that, number one, he's with Moses. That's why Moses makes this big show in front of everyone. You know, God really is Moses. God uses Moses to provide him with water. But also through this reenactment of this salvation event, you know, the striking of the Nile um, is... Well, the striking of the rock is evocative of the striking of the Nile. It's meant to remind you, hey, God saved you out of this terrible situation of slavery, of sin, of death. And now God is saving you again by giving you this water. So he reenacts that today to show us that, that salvation still applies to us. But finally, that you know, God himself is with us. And this is where maybe it's maybe worth teasing in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, that rock was Christ. I'm just noticing the, the time there. I need to finish this very quickly. But if we just jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, and we look at that um, at verse 4, they all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. And so it's showing that God was with them every step of the way through the rock. And somehow the striking of the rock, it's the striking of Christ. And already there are overtones there of Jesus' presence with us through his death. You know, he's struck on the cross. And because he is struck, he is forever with us through his death, through his salvation event, through his, you know, maybe the pouring of his spirit into our hearts. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, this points then forward to the events of the cross. And I'm going to stop there because I think I need to pick this up at a later episode. But yeah, um, as far as first impressions go, uh, more problems and solutions. Um, but I think uh, I'll have to think about uh, Exodus 17 before I jump to those other passages. I think that's the big idea of this. Um, and I'll be chewing on this before I sleep tonight. It's like, uh, what time is it? 10.28 already. It's about, about time to sleep already. And I'll wake up tomorrow and maybe tomorrow night I pick up with another episode where, where I will look at um, how I craft the message together, distill it down to something that is manageable, and come up with some interesting illustrations. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining me. This has been my 
very random take, oh, first impressions on Exodus chapter seventeen. But um, this is real. This is how you know it's real. You know, this this is not planned or rehearsed or anything. But this really is me preparing, looking at the passage, trying to make sense of it, to be faithful to the main message of that, so that I can be as faithful in communicating it when I do. Um, speak it on video. I'm not preaching it live, but do the video uh, for the guys at Milton Keynes. Uh, if you're watching this from Milton Keynes, so sorry again, can't be there. I'm a lot better, but you know, uh, actually I thought I was a lot better yesterday, but um, I was kind of knocked out today again. Um, so getting there, getting there, you know, by God's grace. Thank you for praying. Thank you for the words of concern again. Um, I should end with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're with us, especially during those times when we think that you aren't. Um, forgive us when we forget the fullness of your salvation through Christ, when we encounter the fickleness of our hearts, when we uh, get hungry or thirsty or we think that we have been shortchanged of something that we are owed. We are not owed anything. You've given us everything in Christ. Help us to hold on to this amazing salvation that is in Him, to look to Him, to uh, treasure Him, uh, especially during those times of want, of depression, of lack, of thirst and hunger, and to feast on Christ and to know that He is more than enough. Uh, help me as well with this preparation. Um, pray for the guys at Milton Keynes. Pray that they'll be blessed uh, with the final result. Uh, help us all to um, know the reality of your presence with us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yep, I'm in. Yep, with a few seconds to go. Bye-bye. Shh.